Hello, and welcome back to the RevOps Show. When it comes to customer acquisition and revenue acquisition, is there really a difference between the two? Some of you are probably sitting here thinking, there's no way. And some of you are probably sitting here thinking, how do you not see the difference? Well, no matter what side you are leaning on currently, Jess and Doug are gonna tackle this question for you right here, right now, on the RevOps Show. So let's get into it. Jess. Doug. You got a smile on your face. I'm so happy. I do. I do. I have a smile on my face because we're, we're recording this on a Friday. Oh, and I, thought, I thought it was because you looked at a tool that could maybe make your life a lot easier. I'm so excited. If that happens, you don't even, you don't even know. <laughs> there you are know, no words. In, in, honor, in honor of that excitement, Jess, I have something for you. What's that? Baby shark, baby shark, baby shark, baby shark. Thanks for that. Appreciate you. I love you, Jess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. Oh, what are we doing here? <laughs> what are we talking about today, Jess? I want to talk about customer acquisition versus revenue acquisition. What's the difference? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about. <laughs> Are okay, they the so same thing? So tell me. Well, I mean, by, by definition, customer acquisition is acquiring customers and revenue acquisition is acquiring revenue. Yeah. So, so you want to, you want me to talk about what the difference is? Yes. Do you want me to make life easier on you? I do. I do. As I mentioned, it's Friday and you played the baby shark song. So you've killed brain cells. Of mine. Got it, Dennis. Off to a good start. <laughs> so, one of the mistakes, I don't know if mistake's the right word, but mm -hmm. um, there's a tendency to conflate customer acquisition, winning new customers, with winning revenue. Um, and, and I mean, there's a good reason for the Conflation is in a lot, a lot of times they're, they're one and the same thing. Right. But, but they're actually not the same thing. Right. And, and, and so, and in, and in some industries or in, with some businesses, like some people are listening to this going, what's the difference? And right. some are listening going to this. How do people think that there's no difference? They're completely, right. they're completely different. You know, so, so for example, we work with a lot of companies that they get, uh, you know, a master agreement. They get they they get approved to provide services to, or or even in some cases we've seen where they're the, you know, they're the exclusive provider for. So we right. you know we're a couple of companies that provide a procurement solution, and and now everything's supposed to be bought through them through the seven hundred and twenty six locations of of the company that they just signed, except right. when that contract is signed, no no actual dollars change hands. So they come back and they say, hey, we just want a three million dollar contract because they analyzed it and said the company spends three million dollars and now they're going to buy all of it from us right and as anyone who has ever provided one of those services knows they never buy all of it from you right right um but when that contract is signed there's no actual revenue the job then becomes getting adoption getting compliance ramping up getting people to stop buying from who they were buying from you know et cetera et cetera 
there are there are times you know we work with with a number of tech companies a number of SaaS companies where contract is signed but the revenue doesn't start until you know the system's implemented or something right. like that and, and so um there there can be a sick a significant gap that, that, that that's there i mean you know we we sign an agreement and it says you know first payment first payment due on agreement um which by the way doesn't always mean that they send us the payment on agreement it's true right and it's then true. you know there's second payment and you know right um and and so you know that that's the acquiring of revenue we have we have our retainer clients so someone signs up and says hey we're gonna pay you let's just say you know fifteen twenty thousand dollars a month we come back we say hey yay everybody we just signed you know we just want a hundred eighty two hundred forty thousand dollar new customer mm-hmm. except you know except not right except you know you know we haven't actually acquired that revenue yep so so you know th- those are you know that, that that that's where the obvious difference is so I mean, I, I, I kind of think of it as engagement acquisition, mm-hmm. customer acquisition, revenue acquisition. Engagement acquisition is interesting. Right. Well, engagement acquisition is acquiring your attention and your engagement. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And it's so I, I did some research on this. There's not a lot out there about the difference between the two and nowhere did I see anybody talk. And I, not even the concept of engagement acquisition, which is interesting um, to think about that as its own kind of acquisition lane, if you will. So, so we have a um, pretty short video called the science of growth, or maybe it's the science of scaling growth or something um, where, where we talk about, and, and you know, Jesse, you've heard this forever. As a matter of fact, it's the name of our um, application group, which is Lyft. We talk about Lyft all the time. Yep. I'm, I'm a big, you know, big fan of, I don't understand physics and luckily I never took physics, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of the idea of physics. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know i'm a huge believer in the principle of lift mm-hmm. right and, and and if you think about it what what enables lift right it's what enables flight planes fly because of the principle of lift um and, and basically what it means is that the rate of the velocity of the wind above the wing is greater than the velocity of the wind below the wing right um, so it's a, it's a beautiful illustration if if you think about it, and you know that that that's where the principle of inbound marketing. That's why the principle of inbound marketing was so powerful. Is it really brought the attention to back then the top of the funnel? Yeah, which was you know clearly above the wing. And what I found for a long time was that it was I would talk about above the wing, below the wing, and people loved the idea of you know the metaphor of of the principle of lift. But the difficulty is. I don't actually have a plane and we don't actually have wind. I can't create a wind tunnel. So, so where is that wind? And what I found was as, as I dug deeper to try to answer that question is the wing is at intent. Yeah. So above the wing is before intent Mm -hmm. below the wing is after intent, right? So customer acquisition, revenue acquisition, obviously, you know, even if it's an impulse purchase, (laughs) the intent, the intent was there by the time you're a customer. Yes, correct. Right. Yeah. Unless, unless, unless the salesperson signed the contract for the customer, then, but that opens up a whole nother. Um, that's another episode. We'll call that fraud, you know, and, and, and as a matter of fact, I literally just got off a call with one of our clients talking about this is, you know, Hey, we need to get things moving fast. We need to get, right. And, and so they're, 
we want to launch this new cold call initiative. We're going to outsource this to appointment setting. And I get it. Like I totally, totally get it. But what's happening when you do that is you're actually, you know, you're selling against gravity. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, growth is against gravity. Like you're going against gravity all the yeah. time. And, and so without Lyft, actually um, our friend Mike Donnelly loves it. I haven't said this in a long time. If you don't have Lyft on your side, the only thing that you have is propulsion. And, and, and propulsion is, is, is big, explosive, and dangerous yep. and expensive, right? Um, and it's not sustainable, right? So, so when, you're, when you're not generating lift, you're actually increasing the gravitational pull against yourself. Now, maybe you have to do that because, hey, I need, and look, I've been there. You know what? I need someone to buy from me in the next two months or, you know, my long-term plan doesn't matter because- Right. I'm not here. Yeah. Um, but, but if you're not thinking about it this way, and if you're not figuring out how to turn that tide, how do we generate engagement at a faster with, with the type of people that we want to do business with mm-hmm. at a rate faster than we're generating customers? And how do we generate new customers at a rate faster than we're generating revenue? And if you think about it there, you know, there's a tendency that a lot of people think all or none. We tend you know, there's, there's that binary approach. Mm-hmm. And so when you take the customer acquisition versus revenue acquisition, you begin to look at customer acquisition through the lens of land, revenue yep. acquisition through the lens of expand. Right. And so a lot of times the way to increase growth is to simplify the customer acquisition, right? Once you separate the two, when, when, when you think of the customer as the revenue, then the two are tied together and you tie your hands more. When you separate the two, you begin to have more moving parts on the board that, that enable you to, to do different things, to approach from different angles um, and, 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 and to solve better. I mean, so, so you gain much more choice without actually increasing um, the complexity factor or the complication factor by as much as you gain choice. So understanding that those two things are very different um, is, is important. Oh, by the way, you land the customer. Okay, that's great. Well, what are you doing next year? Right. So are you saying that people combine the two too much? And, and so you're mm-hmm. thinking about it as one strategy versus kind of breaking it into two different, two different strategies. Yeah. Um, so, so a customer... And I don't mean to, like, I'm going to talk about this in impersonal economic terms, but, but the reason for it is, is, you know, let's understand the job to be done. A customer is the, is a potential income producing asset. Mm-hmm. The more potential income producing assets that I have, the more income, the more revenue, or I'd say a potential revenue producing asset, the more, the more opportunities I have to generate revenue. Right. So would I would you rather have one one million dollar paying customer or ten one hundred thousand dollar paying customers? Right. I think people who look at it through the lens of customer acquisition and customer management would say one million dollar customer. Yeah. That's what you told me the other day. Yeah. Right. Because hey, I only have to manage one. It's easier. Yeah. I think looking at it through the lens, and this isn't a hundred percent. There are variations. Like I want to be clear, this is not um, binary. But I think if you look at it through the lens of um, revenue acquisition, you're, you're more likely to say $1 million or 10, 
And I'm talking about that's your whole business, right? I'm not saying of, of your billion dollars, would you have, rather have one or 10? Well, if I have 10 $100,000 potential producing um, assets, and let's say half of them run into a problem and they lose half of their revenue production, I have $750,000 of revenue. If I have one $1 million producing asset and it loses half of its potential, um, so so you you have more risk. There's more that can go. Now, again, there's trade-offs. I don't, sure. my head's going through. Like I'm arguing with myself while I'm talking, just so you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, so so I look at it and, and, and one of the things that, that, that I strive to do with the companies that we work with is as part of your ideal client profile, that ideal client profile should give you an indication to what the revenue potential is. I, you know, I, I think too often companies, you know, they like they they can only rely on what the company is saying or a, a, a small view to to know what that potential is, and, and the reason is they don't know their customer well enough. You sh you should have a good idea. I and mean, you know, one of the questions oh, I give you a great story when I was at Merrill Lynch, you know, big day for every financial advisor was the day that their business owner client sold their business. Mm -hmm. And, and this happened all the time. Right. Company sells their business for you know hundred million dollars. Advisor comes back afterwards and 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 celebrates. You know, business owner nets thirty five million dollars. Comes back and says, "Hey, guess what? My you know, you know the the owner had a half million dollar um, IRA with him or something. Hey, guess what? My my client just gave me three million dollars. I just got a three million dollar count and you know, million dollar count at you know in in private client at Merrill Lynch at the time. Hey, wow, that was you know big huge." Right. Well, at the same time, Bessemer Trust, which positioned themselves against Merrill Lynch as, you know, and I, I won't, they got $32 million. They got the 32, right? Uh, and, and by the way, the Bessemer Trust rep goes, no, no, absolutely. Because Bessemer is making their proposal and that business owner goes, well, you know, I've been working with my advisor for a long time. I really like him. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. We're, you, you should absolutely work with him. Here's the thing. This is once in a lifetime money, right? We're in the business of making sure that you'll never have to worry about that again. So here's what you do. You give us the $30 million we're taking care of the rest of your life. You go out and spend a million dollars on your boat and your new house. Right. Give, give your Maryland. Right. And so, so they like, we're, Hey, guess what? You just won a $3 million account. Yeah. But you lost 30. Right. <laughs> right. And so I see, you know, and, and by the way, that, that plays into, you know, we, I think most businesses have a tendency to pursue new business. As opposed to oh, yeah. how much could they expand within their 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 existing customer base, et cetera, and and you're going to be in that play when you when you don't view revenue acquisition as a separate thing from customer acquisition. So, is, do you think that's why that is? I was going to ask you about that. Why is it that there seems to be so much focus on customer acquisition and getting new customers over over revenue acquisition? Because I I hear this talked about all the time with our clients. They always seem focused on that that customer piece, not so much on the revenue. Why why is that? Well, I mean, if you go back to the old days of commerce, when you know I'd go, I'd walk up to the cash register and I would pay you for something. Um, you know, if, if, if you go to the old days of selling tech, you bought, you know, you, you, you paid SAP $42 million and you were going to use it for 10 years. Right. Um, so, so I think, I think there used to be less difference. Um, I think, you know, we came from transactional, you know, and, and, and today, you know, everyone's in pursuit of recurring. So, so when you go from transactional to recurring there, there's a big shift, but but the real reason I think is because customer acquisition is an event. 
Revenue acquisition is an ongoing process. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think some of it's the thrill of the close? Like, I get to ring the bell. I get to say that I, I closed the account. Like, that, that's exciting. I don't think there's much, as much as, as excitement around, you know, an expansion opportunity. So, so I was going to say that. But, but by the way, and again, expansion is kind of a subset of revenue acquisition. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and expansion is oftentimes a lot more complicated, but also... I was going to say that it was a ring the bell, but then I said, you know, that, 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 that fits to our story um, and how we look at it. Cause we're very sales focused, but, but the reality is that the, the ring the bell is the effect, not the cause. The, the answer is the customer is acquired or not acquired. Mm-hmm. Right. So I gotcha. there's a beginning, a middle and an end. It fits to the way humans think it, there's yep. certainty there. Yeah. But revenue acquisition is forever. Revenue acquisition never ends. Well, and if you think about it through the procurement lens of, you know, they say they're going to give us the the three million that they spend, it, it's not even so much that it's ongoing as you get that you get that in bits and pieces, and you're and maybe this is ongoing, but you're slowly chipping away at getting all of like realizing all of that revenue, and so I, I don't think that beginning, middle, and end is, is as clear as it is to well, closing a customer. And you know, most most companies. And, and, and we're working with companies, you know, billion dollars revenue. They can't close the loop on that. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the, the sales rep closes a, you know, $2 million account. It, it's going to come to them through four tranches, but only two POs ever got executed. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, there's, you know, in sales, we live by a, a, a mantra, time kills all deals. Well, all revenue acquisition. So when we sign this and, and the intent is, yeah, we're going to do this, this, and this things start changing, et cetera. And you're not guaranteed to get those last three POs. You know, one, one of the other elements is, you know, there's a tendency that, Hey, we got this account. Um, we see this in professional services all the time. We got this account. Um, it's, it, it's got huge potential. It, it's the myth of land and expand because it's like, okay, we're going to land this account and, and we're just going to do great work. And then they're right. going to, and then they're going to do more business with us. Well, A, it doesn't work that way. B, you really didn't, position yourself to be successful because you actually overpromised and underpriced. Um, and, you know, land to expand is, 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 is a complex process. And so if you don't have a defined, it, like it doesn't just happen. There, there, there has to be a purposeful ongoing element. There has to be, you know, a strategy and there has to be a program behind that land and expand. And, you know, it, it's like, why do people pay, you know, you got plenty of people who pay attention to the top of the funnel. You have plenty of people who pay attention to the bottom of the funnel, right? Why does nobody pay attention to the middle of the funnel? I don't know why. Because it's really complex. You know, you you have a you have limited scenarios at the top. You have limited scenarios at the bottom. You have unlimited scenarios in the middle. Yeah. You can't account for everything in the middle, and so it's you know it, it it's mysterious, and that's you know that's why I laugh at attribution. You know, first touch, last touch. Yeah, okay, let's let's do first touch, last touch. Cause those are easy. Yeah. The plumbing's in the middle, but by the way, I can go out and I can win business. I can't go out and expand revenue, right? Acquiring a customer is more tangible. It's more physical. Acquiring revenue is totally intangible. Um, and, and, and so people lack the guidance on, on revenue acquisition. How much should this company be doing? Yeah. Right? How, how do most companies set their goal next year? Hey, I think we could grow 25% next year. <laughs> oh, why is that? Right. I mean, so, 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 yeah, you know, 
revenue acquisition, it, it's hard. It, you know, forecast, we had a forecasting conversation and we, you know, forecasting new business, not that hard. Forecasting mm -hmm. revenue, hard. Yeah. Um, now, when you get to a certain size, it becomes easier, but that's because you get large numbers. So you're not actually forecasting revenue, you're forecasting revenue outcome. So what's the difference between those two? Forecasting um, revenue versus it's, it's forecasting It's playing pool between calling your shots and not calling your shots. Okay. So, so if, if I have 10 customers, mm -hmm. my variance is going to be all over the place. Because, right? If I have 10 million customers. Right. Okay. If I, right. So it's like if I'm Amazon where I'm living on, you know, billions of small transactions, you've got the law of large numbers on, on, on your side. Your, your errors are going to be, just, you know, you're going to, you're going to be wrong to the, to the downside as often as you're wrong to the upside. So in the end, you're much more likely to come out with the right, you know, with the numbers that that's the same, but was the path, was the path to the number accurate? And, and more often than not, it's not accurate, right? When I have small numbers, if my path isn't accurate, then my outcome's not accurate. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so is there a time where you should focus on customer acquisition? Is there a time where you should focus on revenue acquisition yes. as far as, okay, that was easy. <laughs> would you like to expand on that? <laughs> Can you tell me when, when, when would you focus on customer acquisition versus revenue acquisition? All the time. So you'd always focus on customer acquisition over revenue acquisition. Oh, you didn't say over. Oh, I, I said it in my head oh. over. I thought you said, is there a time you focus on customer acquisition? Is there a time you focus on revenue? Acquisition? I think that was the first question I asked. Yes. I meant to put an or in there. So is um, there a time that you should focus on one over the other? Yes. You should always focus on customer acquisition over revenue acquisition. And you should always focus on revenue acquisition over customer acquisition. Well, that that's super helpful. <laughs> um, well, it's why this is the RevOps show. Um, Cause that's kind of a RevOps discipline. There, there is a, you know, you're looking at it from the top down, from the bottom up mm -hmm. and, 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 and from the side. So I think, I mean, again, if I'm not seeing, if I'm not seeing customer growth or let's use the colloquial term. So we sound all sassy and tech light. Um, if, if my new logo growth. Oh, there we go. <laughs> is, is running lower than my revenue growth. Mm -hmm. then I'm going to be, then, then I'm at risk of coming up against the ceiling of my growth. And, and, and by the way, if you see a company that consistently has lower new customer growth mm -hmm. than it has revenue growth, that is definitely an indicator that you're probably going to see revenue growth decline. Now realize sense. revenue growth declines before revenue declines. People don't understand that. <laughs> right? So I'm growing revenue at 20%. When right. I'm growing revenue at 15%, that's revenue growth decline. Right, but then your revenue has a delayed drop off of that. Right. Correct. Yeah. But 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 so what I'm saying, but even before, so if I have if I'm growing at twenty percent per year and now I have a revenue decline to fifteen percent, then I'm still growing, but I'm but my re but my revenue growth rate has gone down. Right. Which if that sustains, then you know the new revenue is right. I'm not yeah. you know there's a period of so so your customer growth rate will proceed. And so remember the decrease of, of, so if I'm growing new, new logos at 50%, mm -hmm. and now I'm growing it at 30%. Now, if we're talking from early, you know, we, we, we talk about the, the life cycle of a business 
please note that when you when you move from one life cycle to the next life cycle, there is a reset. You know, when you go from when you go from startup to being a billion dollar company, you're going to see, you know, you're you're not going to grow new logos at the same rate you grew them when you had like when I had one customer. You know, my, when I had my second customer, I I grew a hundred percent. So there there's a, but. But again, as, as you look at that, you know, if, if I go from, you know, growing new customers at 20% to growing new customers at 10%, I still increase the number of new customers that I got. But if that sustains, then I'm going to have negative customer growth, right? Which means I brought 10 in last year. Now I brought in nine. Yeah. Right. Which by the way, is an increase, right? Because I now have 19 if you have recurring, right? And, and, and so there's a, you know, it, it, it's why... I mean, it, it, it's why people buy high and sell low in the stock market is because, you know, the big numbers don't show up. You know, the big numbers are the result of what happened yesterday, not a result of what's happening tomorrow. So so I'm looking at things like um, what's new customer growth relative to revenue growth. I'm looking at things like when I, I, I got to give credit to Dan Sullivan and strategic coach. They had a concept they called the largest check, the largest check. Um, now, I have to apply it in different ways to, to different businesses. Um Strategic coach is more geared to like individuals running financial advisory yep. practices and other things. But you know, what were the, what, what was the average of the five largest income producing customers over the last 12 months? And one of the things that I found is if your largest check wasn't growing at a faster rate than your average check. So here's how I apply this to a business. If your first quintile accounts mm -hmm. aren't growing at a rate faster than your average accounts, then you're coming up against the ceiling, right? So that's a yep. revenue acquisition element. And the way I tell people, what I tell people, and for those of you that don't know what a quintile account is, quintile represents, quintile is 20%. So what you do is you break, so your top quintile is your top 20% revenue producing customers. First quintile, yep. second quintile, so you have five quintiles. And what I tell people is your mantra should be, you know, make my first quintile, second quintile. Yeah. Right. If I don't see your first quintile becoming your second quintile, then you're coming up against your capabilities. And now the only way you're going to grow is by growing your customer base. Mm -hmm. And if the only way you're going to grow revenue is by growing your customer base, then your costs are going to increase. So your revenue is never going to, your revenue is never going to grow. Well, no, your revenue will grow, but it will only grow at the rate you add new customers. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Right. So, so I'm bringing in hundred thousand dollar customers so if, if I have 10 customers at $100,000, I'm a million dollars. So if I want to be a $2 million customer, if I want to be a $2 million business and I can't change that $100,000, that means I need, I'm now a $2 million company with 20 customers. Okay. Well, well, then you're well why do I want to do that? Unless you're yeah. a restaurant, right? Which, which, you know, cause if you're doing that, then you need to have, you, you, you need to have a, a very large base of customers, right? You can't, you can make a living with one restaurant. And by the way, restaurateurs find this, they, you know, they go, Oh, I'm opening my second restaurant. You know what happens? They work twice as hard. Yeah. They make the same amount of money. They get to the third or fifth restaurant. They're working two to three times as hard. They make less money. It's not until you have 20 restaurants where I'm making $20,000 from 20 restaurants. Right. 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 And, and, and so, right. So, so those are the elements that I'm looking at. So if I'm not seeing my customer growth rate, then I'm not building, I'm, I'm losing assets to generate revenue, but then am I also increasing what those, you know, what is the revenue yield 
of those assets is that growing as well, right? When 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 the precursor, right? So customer growth before revenue growth, engagement growth before customer growth. When the precursor mm-hmm. is growing at a faster rate, you're raising your ceiling. You're creating lift, right? Yep. When when the follow is growing faster than the precursor, then you're going, you know, then then you've got a downward pull on on the organization that you then have to fight against, which is why companies move from a value creative mindset to a value exploitation mindset. So I always say it's value exploration, the value creation to value exploitation, right? So when Starbucks was selling chocolates and one day they went from selling their chocolates that everybody loved to they decreased the price of their chocolate by a third but cut the size of the chocolate by half. Mm-hmm. That was value exploitation. Right. Okay. Um, when when Ajax, and this is a true strategy, because it got presented to me as a riddle, you know, this, this, and this were the case. How do you grow revenue? And, you know, it's the stumper for everything. And, you know, the, the answer was make the holes bigger. So one of the ways that Ajax grew revenue was they made the holes in the Ajax canister bigger. So you were pouring more out when you were pouring Without it out. Without realizing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. right. One of the moves that, that laundry detergent made to concentrate was so that you couldn't make that equation. So you're actually getting less for the money. That's value exploitation, right? That's because you're now in a mature market. It doesn't have customer growth. It doesn't have... You know, yeah, your, your your revenue coordinates to that, and, and and so again, that's why you know that is the cycle of business: value exploration, value creation, value exploitation. And so we, those are the numbers that you're looking at, and and so there's also the elements of if I start seeing, you know, if I start seeing trends going against my growth rate, that's when I begin, to, you know, that that's when looking at complementary markets, or, or I'm sorry, complementary products. It means, you know, may, maybe there's an adjustment to the market that you're looking at. Th- those things begin to be, you know, if if the goal is to sustain the business, then, then that's what you have to look at. Though I want to emphasize, you know, the, the title of the book, of all the books in the history of business books, the title that I like the least, and it surprises people, is the book Built to Last, um, which, you know, Jim Collins, by the way, the content in Built to Last is is intriguing, and, and there's a lot of good stuff in it. So I'm not slamming the book as much as I'm slamming the title. But my problem with, with, with even the content of the book is that it infers that a business is supposed to last. And, and, and the example of this is, um, you know, the buggy whip manufacturer. I don't know what a buggy, what's a buggy. I don't know what a buggy whip is. A buggy whip is the whip that you use to whip the horse. Oh, okay. Buggy to All go right. Back. Okay. Right. And, and, and people say, well, you know, because you weren't paying attention you know, you thought you were in the make the horse go faster business when you were really in the transportation business. And if you had realized that you were in the transportation business, you would have invented and manufactured the automobile, except that's so full of crap. I can't even, yeah. because, because you tell me what element of capability, knowledge, and core competence, somebody who makes a leather whip has to be able to make the model, <laughs> speed, right? Right. You know, you, you know, you're, you're, you're in the boutique leather business and you know what, there comes a point in time where, Hey, you know what? Buggy whips aren't supposed to be a thing. 
Right. And so the best thing that you can do is free up your capital, your people, your money, your time, et cetera, to go do something new. I, I, I see a lot of, I see this happening in small businesses and mid-market businesses all the time is that, you know, we're built to last. And it's like, well, no one, you, you'd be better off if you just found that next thing. So, so, so again, you know, I'm not telling you that you, you should leave, but, but, but that's the element of why understanding the difference between customer acquisition and revenue acquisition, you know, but, you know, we, we talk about opportunity quadrants, right? There's four opportunity yep. quadrants, right? High value customers split into um, low growth potential. We've got all the business they're going to do. Yeah. High growth potential. Yep. Then low value customers split between low growth potential, high growth potential. And so your growth accounts are your high value, high growth and low value, high growth or high current value, high growth, low current value, low, right? And so when yep. you begin to segment that, that that is, you know, at least quadrant two, mm -hmm. if not oftentimes quadrant three. Um, and I'm a fan. I love having big quadrant threes. Who are the customers that are doing a little bit with us that could do a whole lot more? Yeah. Right? Because right? it's a lot easier to sell to somebody that's a customer than somebody who's not a customer. It's true. Right? And so when you start looking at that through that lens, you know, it, 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 it changes I mean, I'm going to sound really old now. Most people aren't going to know what I'm talking about. It changes the horizontal and the vertical. But those are controls that used to be on the this TV is... to cause the moving picture to be steady. <laughs> I was going to say, I need you to clarify that for the for the youngins. So on the Blackline podcast and... yesterday, I talked about Yellow Pages come up and Mike um, was looking <laughs> at me strange. And he was, of course, looking at me strange. Why am I talking about the Yellow Pages? And I said, Mike, it, it was this, you, you know what Google is? Yellow Pages was this big book. It was Google at the time. Yeah. Um, anyways. Uh, so de defining those quadrants, that helps you kind of know where where you need to focus on and where your shortcomings might be as far as customer acquisition and, and revenue acquisition. Is that what you're saying? No, actually what the opportunity quadrants really is, is it's, it's looking at the world through the lens of revenue acquisition. It's actually not looking at the world through the lens of customer okay. acquisition. Okay. You know, you're right. Cause yeah, that's right. Cause high growth versus low growth. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Right. And and yep. so again, like, I mean, my entire market of people that aren't buying from me that should buy from me, they're quadrant three accounts. Right. right? They, they're low value because they produce nothing for us right now. But, but we have some customers that are on smaller projects and mm -hmm. we know they could and should be doing more. Well, yep. well, would you rather have a universe filled with the people who don't know who you are and can do a lot with you or the people who are doing a little with you, they could do a lot with you. So, so in my customer acquisition, like I don't mind bringing in small accounts if they fit large potential opportunities because filling up my, I'd rather have my, my quadrant three bandwidth filled with customers doing a little bit of revenue with us in an effort to grow, right? Mo yeah. What most people are trying to do is get everybody right into quadrant one. Yeah. I value no growth. We've got it yeah. all. This or, goes to the one one account and one million or 10 accounts at a hundred thousand. Well or they let whatever that first transaction is define what oh the, yeah. What what the total value is. And that could be on on either part, you know, too often in that idea of hey, we're gonna land them and expand them is we position ourselves as small and transactional. Um, and like, well, no, I, I want to win this business. I want to, you know, so I'm going to price it low and we're going to handle this really small thing that, that that's not worth it because then they'll see what we'll do, except then they go, oh, those are the people who handle. I mean, again, that's how bus, 
That's how Bessemer Trust and all these other high net worth, you know, destroyed Merrill Lynch is they said, yeah, yeah, no, they're not, you know, you don't want to work with them because that's not what they do. Right. And, and so that's that place of, you know, where your positioning is and realizing that customer acquisition, it's kind of like what we talk about with leads, right? We always say qualify the company, don't qualify the lead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but most people really aren't in a clear enough position. Like the number one weakness that I have seen across the board is, and, it, and it's the thing that makes me sad every day. It, it honestly, it's amazing that I'm able to get up in the morning, Jess. <laughs> shocking is is just how little companies understand about their customers it blows me away yeah i actually had that written down as one of my big takeaways is is having the ideal client profile really indicates the revenue potential of your customers and and i i think that's that's a piece that the vast majority are missing but but here's the bullshit of ideal client profile because i've seen it i even had to answer this i got the the answer wrong in a certification test because they showed, they gave, <laughs> they gave the the ideal client profile, and they said, "Is this sufficient?" And I said, "No, it's not sufficient." You know, it's true or false? Is this sufficient? I said, "False." And it turns out the answer was true. And if you look at it through the lens of who should we be selling to? Okay, yeah, it, it was it, it it was true, but that's not an ideal client profile. At at best, it's a target market profile. At mm-hmm. best, and, I, and again, I don't even think it's that. You know the. And, and and by the way, in this same thing, it says ideal client profile is demographic only. Buyer personas gets into, you know, the mindset and and yeah. other attributes. And I'm like, whoa, hold on a mother blanking second. If your ideal client profile isn't demographic and psychographic, and if you're going to tell me that companies don't have psychographics, you're nuts. What's their growth pot profile? What's what's the economic conditions? Where's you know, like all those things help me understand the world of the customer. Actually, the, the client that I got off just before here said, well, you know, the reason that that we talked to you was that somebody, you know, somebody had seen you, had told you about us and they'd seen you at Inbound. And then I had gone to your website a few times and I was reading your your material and he talked about, you know, bad plumbing is where you got the term bad plumbing. And he said, mm-hmm. and I was reading it and I'm like, yes, that's our problem. And, and he goes, and I'm and I'm thinking to myself, how can you know our problem this well? And that's why I wanted to talk to you. Yeah. Right. And I go, right. That's exactly how it's supposed to work. And I was telling him, that's why we want our early sales efforts. Like, why are we just going for the appointment? Let's get him to the website. Yeah. And, and, and and we're able to do that because like we obsess about, I mean, we spend more time thinking about the problems that our customers have than we think about our, our solutions. And so, you know, that understanding enables us to see, you know, people ask me, what size companies do you work with? And I go, well, I'm, I'm going to answer the question, but it doesn't mean much. You, by the way, if you go back years ago, I used to define the size of a company by gross profit. Okay. Right. And yep. I said, I don't care what their revenue is. I care what their revenue after direct costs are. Like after, like, right. Because if I'm selling a hundred million dollars and I've got a 10% gross margin, I'm a $10 million company. And you know what? That professional services company that has a hundred percent margin, that does 10 million has, you know, and people, I know you can't, you can't look at it that way. That's not the same thing. I'm like, no, no. It, but you know, now like we judge the size of a company by the number of salespeople. Yeah. Right. Because the number of salespeople tells us what type of problems do you have? If you tell me you have one salesperson, by the way, with some segments about what market you're in, what you're selling, sure. but, 
But if you have one salesperson, if you have no salespeople, I know one, you've got one set of problems. If you have one or two, you got another set. If you got five to 10, you're a different place. Different. If yeah. you're at 25, if you're at 50, if you're at 100, if you're at 250, I could go all the way up. But it, but it also means what's the solution side? We right. know if you have 50 salespeople, then we're going to be able, right? If you have, it, it lets us know what the expectations are. It, like all those things come in just from that number. If I know, you know, if I know some demographic data and number of salespeople, sure. I can tell you your story. Right. And I can, and I also know what my story is and, and where, where we should be thinking and what we should be thinking, et cetera. And the fact that that's just not commonplace, I'm like, what's more important to know than your customer base. Right. And, and when you, and, and you know what I think, I think because I look at it as customer acquisition and revenue acquisition as two different things, mm -hmm. I think it causes me to do that more. I mean, I, I, I think that's just, it, it, it puts me in, in a framework that, that I, that it, that it, that we do go deeper because of that. I agree. I agree. Um, all right, cool. So kind of my big takeaway, I mean, my biggest takeaway is they are definitely two different things, two distinct, uh, pieces that you really need to have strategies for and plan for and, and focus on both, not just focus on one. Um, we hit the ideal client profile piece, which I think I didn't think we would go to ideal client profile on on this episode. So that's kind of interesting how that feeds into talking about acquisition strategy and and those pieces. Um, and then, you know, I really liked what you said where you were talking about the life cycle of a customer or I'm sorry, life cycle of your company and making sure that you have a reset. Because I think that's something that gets lost a lot of times that when you've changed your, your life cycle as an organization, when you've changed your, you know, customer base, when you've grown, you've got to have a reset and relook at those metrics and those strategies as you're moving forward. Yeah, I, I, I think if you have an ideal client profile and you don't have a revenue model attached to that ideal client profile, then you don't have an ideal client profile. Does you not know, take. You know, one, one, one of the, you know, a business owner that I know that, I mean, I've, I've tremendous respect for him. There's a lot that he does that I can't really, I don't really fully understand him. But, but one thing that he gets, and it, he was telling me, he said, you know, Doug, it, it takes me three to five years to develop a customer. So I, I don't look at first year revenue. I don't care about first year revenue, right? Because, mm -hmm. and I'm willing, and I'm willing to spend money to get a customer because, you know, because it's going to take me five years. Whereas most people are saying, okay, I just, I implemented my customer acquisition strategy. Okay. Well, where's the revenue? Yep. Like, why, by the way, why do people raise money? They raise money because they're going to spend $10 million to acquire $2 million of revenue, but they're going to acquire a customer base, right? Why is recurring revenue valued so much more? Because it, it, it creates a perpetual nature to the revenue acquisition side of it. Right. That, that, that's why that pushes there. Um, but, but again, if you don't, like, if you, if you're jumping to recurring because everyone's like, Oh, you should go to recurring and you don't understand yeah. that is literally a separation of, of customer acquisition, revenue acquisition, then, and then you, you know, three years later you go, I don't understand why this isn't working. And on that note, <laughs> on that note, that is today's episode. Um, all right, Jess, well, I'm glad we're successful today because you were smiling at the beginning of the episode. And I'm smiling and at the end. You're going to kill it. 
you gonna kill it with your with your soundboard? Uh, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Here we go. First rule of Fight Club is <laughs> you do not talk about Fight Club. There we go. <laughs> All right, Jess, talk to you next time. Bye. And that's a wrap on this episode of The RevOps Show. Just to be clear, as Jess mentioned, the biggest takeaway is that customer and revenue acquisition are two completely different things. And if you disagree, we would love to hear your take. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and share the episode. If you have any questions you would like to ask Doug or Jess about customer versus revenue acquisition, share a different take on the topic, or ask about anything else RevOps related, email me at hannah at imaginellc.com or hit us up on Twitter at DemandCreator. Until next time, remember, can't solve your upstream problems downstream.